been to Manhattan, so welcome to Manhattan. We're excited about this upcoming school year, and it's a great time to be alive. It's a great time to be together, and God is doing really good things, and we're glad to be here. I'm glad to be here with everybody. So are we excited? Excited about this year? Anybody excited about this year? Yeah, come on. We've got good things going on. It's awesome. Well, we are, uh, my name is Jonathan Hub. If I haven't met you, I get to serve as the lead pastor here with Bluemont, and it's just my privilege and honor to be part of this great people, and I truly am, just have a huge sense of expectancy about what God is doing right now and what he's going to be doing in, this, in the next school year to change lives and to, to grow us up in many, many powerful ways. I think a lot of us will look back in a year and go, wow, I can't believe how much God did in my life in the last 12 months, and so I'm excited to be part of that. We are going to, today we're actually, as, as John Griffith mentioned, we're wrapping up the series we've been doing this summer, which is called Jesus Among the People. And we've been going through the, the Gospel of Luke, looking at different encounters that Jesus had with various people. And it's been really encouraging to my faith, just to see God's heart for people, and the way he meets them right where they're at, and gives them what they need, and also calls them up and helps them overcome the obstacles and things in their lives. And today we're looking at actually the last interaction Jesus had with people before he died. So this is the very last interaction, conversation he had with anyone before he breathed his last breath. And it's the, the two criminals that were on the crosses next to him we're going to be looking at today. And but to kind of set the stage, if I was thinking about this, that... You, I think probably most of us know people like this, where there were two people, maybe they were siblings in a family, or maybe they were, you know, in the same, what, however it was, they were in the same basic place in life. They had the same environment, the same opportunities, the same problems. Everything about them was, was pretty much the same. But then their lives went on completely different paths, and they ended up in totally different places. You know, I was once at a, a funeral of a distant relative of mine who, who died totally alone. He, he died of AIDS. He had basically no friends, destitute, nothing left. And then in his, in his very family, there were people that were very successful, very you know, involved in their community, and just a totally different situation. And I think you know, we, we all could think of situations like that. And really, the, to me, that is you can look at that one of two ways. You can look at that of like, oh, man, I'm going to be one of those people who makes it, and those people who don't make it, they just need to get their act together. What's wrong with them? Or you can have more of a humility about it to say, you know, any one of us could end up anywhere. And it's, you know, as the saying is, there, but for the grace of God, there go I. And the reality is a lot of times, there's a saying in, in Christian circles a lot of times that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And that is 100% true. But I heard someone say once that, and it's always stuck with me, he said, the opposite is also true. The devil hates you, and it has a destructive plan for your life. And there is, God has a perfect plan laid out, and there is another plan laid out for each and every one of our lives. And we can, if, if we're aware, we can feel that force pulling us into that place that is very different from what God intends for our lives. And so, but the good news is, is that, as we're going to look at today, is that it's never too late. It's never too late 
for God to work in a person's life. It's never too late for God to show up and put people in the place that he has for them. And that's the heart of God. And so we're going to look at this story in Luke chapter 23. I'm just going to read through it first. We're going to look at the story of two criminals on the crosses next to Jesus. And then we're going to break it down and look at what, was, what, was, uh, what were some of the characteristics of each of them that the, determined the differences and where they ended up. So in Luke chapter 23, starting in verse 32. There will be two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. A couple of the other Gospels are more specific and say that they were, they were robbers or thieves. And a lot of Bible scholars, they would think that they were probably, it wasn't just like petty thief, petty thievery, but they were like armed bandits, people that, you know, that stopped people on the roadside and used weapons and force to steal from them. So it was a pretty, pretty serious uh, criminals here. So two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him, with Jesus. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, or Golgotha, there they crucified him, Jesus, and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And so this is, it's really such a fitting way that Jesus died, in that he was being crucified for the sins of the whole world. He was being crucified for sinners. And there... One on his right and one on his left were two people who were obvious sinners. And God was really giving us a picture that this is who he died for. And again, it's easy to, to think, oh, well, that's like those bad people. But no, really, the appropriate response is, that's me and that's you. That is our sin that led him to the cross. And it was because of that that he, that he went. It was because of our sin that he had to die. And so... In verse 34, it says, And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Man, there's the the character of Jesus coming through right there. In this darkest hour when he's being murdered, an innocent man, and people are all rising up against him, he's saying, Father, will you forgive them? They don't know what they're doing. And they cast lots to divide his garments. Now, you can just... Imagine that basically he, it was, it was such a place of, of emptiness. And here the, the Son of God has come and give everything, given everything. But he was totally not recognized for who he was. So much to, to the extent that his very clothes that he wore, the soldiers had no regard for his life. They were just like, hey, you know, that robe looks like a nice one. I'd like to have that. No, I'd like to have that. Well, let's, let's just roll the dice and see who gets it. You know, it was just just taking his, valuing his, his clothing more than valuing him. And the people stood by, stood by watching. But the ruler scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him. This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. 
But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God? Since you are under the same sentence of condemnation. And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And the second criminal said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. There it is, two criminals, two sinners. At the end of their life, they basically had lived similar lives, at least they ended up in the very same place. They were, they were criminals, they got caught, they got arrested, they got sentenced to death. And as it turned out, they were one on the right hand of Jesus and one on the left hand of Jesus. But the attitudes and the approaches of each of these criminals were, they were very different from one another. And in the end, the, the destiny, the eternal destiny of each of these criminals was, was very different. And really, we're, we're going to just break that down and look at it because, because we want to be like the second guy, not the first guy. <laughs> All right. Um, I mean, not that, you know, hopefully we don't die on a cross and end up executed for crimes. But again, the reality of that, seeing this is we all are sinners. We all are criminals before God. And it's how we come to him that makes the difference in our life and for eternity. And so the first criminal, we're just going to break down. What, what was it that he did? Well, the first thing that the first criminal did, criminal number one, is he followed the crowd. You think about the whole environment here, the atmosphere. It was, it was basically a mob that was rising up and saying, we crucify this man, Jesus. They were disappointed. He hadn't done what they wanted, what they thought he was going to do, or what they hoped he would do, which was to deliver them from the Romans and you know, shake, shake the Romans off their back. So they were, they were upset, they were mad, and there was this, this, this mob sort of energy. And I think all of us have been in that sort of environment where you know that you get around a group of people and it starts to go in a direction that isn't a good direction. But it's a very, very powerful pull. Now, last night, Reagan and I were watching Ryan Lochte, the U.S. Amer- the American swimmer, who got in trouble in Brazil and, during the Olympics. And at first he told a story of how he was, you know, he and his buddies were pulled over and these, these bandits stuck a gun to their head. And it turned out all that was a total lie. Basically, they were just out partying, and they did some dumb stuff, and the, the, the people there said, hey, you need to pay for what you, what you did, and, but they changed the story and made them look like the victims, and the other people looked like the villains, but the truth caught up with them, and I was thinking about that, that I don't know what all happened, but I, I know what happens often in those scenarios is that you're, you're going, and it's just the environment, is, and the choices are getting less and less healthy, but there's just this group mentality that, hey, that's what the group is doing, and it, it's very difficult to resist that. But following the crowd is a sure way to end up in a bad place. And in Exodus 23, too, in, in the law, that God tells us, you must not follow the crowd in doing wrong. Now, there's a, there's a new school year at K-State. There's a lot of energy. You know, there's, there's going to be a lot of crowd impulses happening that are not healthy directions. And 
God is very clear. Here, be, care, be careful. Don't go along with the crowd in doing evil. In Proverbs 13.20, we're told, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. But a companion of fools suffers harm. Now, can't, probably all of us could raise our hand and say, yeah, I've been a companion of fools before, and I suffered harm for it. Right? I mean, we all could have stories of being in that environment and stupid stuff happening, and sure enough, we got swept up into it, and we suffered harm for it. But the flip side of it is whoever walks with the wise will become wise. And there's no greater, well, the, the greatest determiner of our, of our life is our relationship with God. But after that, it's the people you walk with. That whoever you, your closest friends and associates are, that is who you will be like. And that is just a, a law of, of human nature and reality, that if you want to be a certain way, find people that are that way and build relationships with them, live with them, interact with them. That's the kind of person that you're going to turn out to be. So the first criminal didn't do that. He followed the, he followed the crowd. The second thing he did was he blamed God. And if you look at his words, he, um, he, he looked at Jesus and said, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. In verse, verse 39. And you know, it's kind of not direct, but you can, if you read between the lines or under the surface, basically he's, he's like, Hey, aren't you the Christ? Aren't you the one who's supposed to be the Savior? Like, can't you do something for us here? Can't you rescue us from our situation? And, man, it's such a tendency for all of us to look at whatever bad circumstances we're in and to blame God for it. Right? It's like, God, how could you allow this to happen? I didn't deserve this. This is a bad situation. How could this happen? The reality is, we should ask ourselves, do we want to experience the life that we deserve? I would say no. I don't want the life that I deserve. I, no matter what difficult thing I'm going through, and a lot of that stuff is not directly my fault or anything related to choices that I have done. But at the same time, if I got what I deserve from God, I wouldn't be standing here. I'd be a pile of smoking ashes or something. If I look at the way I have been unfaithful to my Creator, if I look at the one who created me to love Him and honor Him and live for Him, and then time and time again that I've given Him the finger and gone my own way and looked to other things to be my fulfillment and chosen myself instead of Him, I don't want what I deserve. But that's a, that, that's a whole different approach. But it's so, criminal number two and criminal number one, and what we often do is, is we look at our situation and we blame God for what we're in. And I'm not saying that every situation is, is good. There are a lot of situations that are not our fault, that are, that are unjust. But if we step back from that, no matter what situation we're in, it's a better situation than what we deserve before God. And so the first criminal blamed God. He also presumed Presumption is, is always a dangerous thing. Again, he said, hey, aren't you the Savior? If you are, aren't you the Christ? Why don't you save yourself and us? He's saying, hey, man, if you got all this power, rescue me from this really bad dilemma that I'm in. Do something for me. 
get me off this cross. That's what I need. And get yourself off the cross too. And, he, and that's what we want to do. When we look at our situations, we're like, okay, God, this is what you need to do for me. If you would just do this, then everything would be better. If you would just solve this problem the way that I want you to solve it, then that would be good. God, why don't you do that? I know what's best. And you think about it, again, if you step back from what he's doing, he's telling Jesus, who is giving his life for the sins of the world, through his act in that moment, was the hope of humanity. It was the hope of the world. It was the source of salvation for everyone who would believe in him. It was the thing that was going to bring light and healing and justice and peace into the world. And he was going, Jesus, just get off that cross. Don't do that. It's a bad idea. Because he presumed that he knew what was best. But if Jesus would have followed his advice, it would have not been a good idea. Because God knew what he was up to. And so, in our presumption, it's scary. You know, so often I get, even in my relational difficulties, where I, you know, get in an argument with someone, or we get at, at we cross whatever you cross with one another. It's because I thought something was going on in this interaction. And then when I actually we get down and figure out what's going on, I was like, oh, that's not what happened. I just made a total fool of myself. Because I thought I understood the whole picture. But what I thought was not what was going on at all. Did that happen to anyone else besides me? Yeah, all right. Clint Eastwood actually had a good thing to say about this. Not about presumption, but assumption. That if you assume, it makes uh, not a very good thing out of you and me. If you don't know what that is, ask someone. <laughs> All right. So criminal number one, follow the crowd, blame God. He presumed that he knew what was best. And in the end, he got what he deserved. He experienced the justice that he deserved. Roman, and you know, as, as his friend said, hey, we're getting the, the very thing that we deserve. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. And that is what we all deserve. We all deserve death because of our sin. And criminal number one, because he stayed on that path of following the crowd, blaming God, presuming that he knew what was best. In the end, he got what he, he deserved. Now there's another guy. He's a very endearing character in the story. Criminal number two. And I like this guy because he gives hope. For all of us. And he had a very different approach. They're, again, they were in the same situation. Criminals sentenced for the same crime, about to die, about to face eternity. There they are. But his approach was very different. The first thing that was different about him was that, that he feared God. He had a healthy respect for who God was and the consequences of his sin. In verse 40, he said, he told the other guy, hey, do you not fear God since you're under the same sense of condemnation? This guy was looking at the fact that he was about to die. And he had a realization that he was minutes or hours away from standing before the judge of the universe and giving an account for his life. And he wasn't really in the mood for getting on Jesus for his supposed inadequacies, or being, you know, heaping abuse on him. Because he was like, oh my goodness, I am in deep trouble here. I am in a bad 
situation. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. This is a kind of fear that is not about cowering, but it's about a, a respect for the holiness of God. A respect that he is a loving God, but he is also a holy God. He is a just God. And he is a God to whom every person will give an account for their life. And criminal number two had a realization of who God was and that that was something that he, he had to deal with. The second thing he did is he owned up to his sin. Now he said, hey, this is just. We're receiving the due reward of our deeds. He, he faced up to his sin. He faced up to his failures. And he didn't make excuses. He didn't blame anybody else. He didn't blame God. He said, hey, this is on me. I'm a sinner. I'm getting exactly what I deserve. Proverbs 28, 13 says, People who conceal their sins will not prosper. But if they confess and turn from them, they will receive, they will receive mercy. You know, again, watching Ryan Lochte being interviewed last night, I mean, my heart just went out to him. I was praying for him. My God, help this guy. I, I can feel, I, I've done, not, not exactly what he's done, but I've, I've done this. You know, I've, I've, I've lied and done stupid things and then lied about it and then got stuck in the consequences of it. And then, I mean, I feel for this guy. The whole world now knows about him. And, I mean, governments are involved in this situation and the media. And here he is, like, and, you know, I can't judge his heart that he's, he, it seems like he's saying, okay, yes, what I did was wrong, and I'm taking responsibility for it, and there was no excuse for what I did. And, man, I hope, that he, I hope that he comes through, and I hope that God works in his life through this. But he was realizing, man, when I was concealing my sin, I did not prosper. That did not help me. That did not help my buddies. That did not help. My government, that did not help Brazil. That brought so much destruction about. And, okay, I need to get it out in the open and deal with the reality of what I've done. And, you know, this, this criminal, he had done a lot. But because he was willing to own up to it, that was a starting point to him experiencing what God had for him. And that's what he asked for. And, and the next thing he did is he asked for mercy. He didn't ask for justice. He asked for mercy. You know, I don't want God's justice for my life. I don't know about you. That's not what I'm looking for. But God's mercy, yes. That's what I'm hoping for. And this criminal number two, he, he asked for mercy. He turned and said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now, I, I think about that. That is not, in some ways, that's a natural response because the situation was desperate and it seems very appropriate to ask for mercy when you're in a desperate situation. But in another sense, it's not really natural to think that he could get mercy because he didn't deserve mercy. But I think, you know, when God is, God is a gracious God and he comes to us and he brings the message of the gospel, the message of his forgiveness, the message of his hope. And when it comes to us, it does something in our heart that you can just feel some faith. You can feel something inside of you rising up and going, maybe God would be gracious to me. Maybe God would have something for me if I would turn to him. 
I, how many of you have felt that before? You felt that just kind of faith in your heart, like, yeah, God, you want to do something good in my life. And I, I think that's what was happening with this criminal, that God was reaching out to him. And he felt that, you know, this, he had a revelation of who Jesus was, that he was the Messiah. And he's like, you know, I, this seems crazy. This seems crazy to ask him for forgiveness. This seems crazy to ask him for mercy. It would have been very easy not to. But he, I believe God was, was giving him the faith that he needed. And he could feel that something inside of him, and he, he stepped out. He said, God, would you? Would you have mercy on me? And sometimes God, God does that with each and every one of us. That he says, hey, I've got something for you. I want to extend mercy to you. If you'll just look to me, if you'll just ask, if you'll ask for my forgiveness, if you'll ask for my mercy, that's what I want to give you. And that's what the third criminal did, or the second criminal did. Um, again, Romans 6.23, we, we started this verse earlier, but it says, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The wages of our sin is death. That's what we deserve. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. God is a God of mercy. God is a God who extends his gift to people. And we can experience that if we just ask him. People can experience that if they ask him. The fourth thing about the, the second criminal is that in the end he got what God desired. The first criminal got what he deserved. The second criminal got what God desired for him. Jesus said to him, today, you'll be with me in paradise. And this is just kind of a side note, but the word paradise is, is actually a, a Persian word. And a lot of times when we hear this, this, is, this, is often, this story is often told uh, to make the point that, hey, no matter what, if you're on your deathbed and you put your trust in Christ, you can be forgiven of your sins and spend eternity with God and go to heaven when you die. And that is true. That if you come to a place of repentance and faith on your deathbed, it has nothing to do with what we do, with our good deeds. It's everything to do with what Jesus did on the cross. And it's us turning from our sins, asking for his forgiveness and receiving his mercy. That's what forgives us. That's what makes us spend an eternity with God. But I, as I was getting ready for this message, I, I looked up the word paradise. I was like, what, what does that word mean? And it's interesting that it actually was a Persian word. And it means a, an enclosed place or a garden. And so the picture of paradise, it's the place where the righteous would, it's the place where God is. It's the place where those that God declares righteous are with him after they die. But it's described as, as a garden. And actually, many of the early church fathers believed that when, when the first people, Adam and Eve, sinned, and they were kicked out of the Garden of Eden, this, this perfect garden that God had made for them, and they were prevented from ever going back into that garden, a lot of the church fathers believed that that garden still exists, that it's not in the earth anywhere, and it's not really in heaven like we think of heaven, but they saw it as like being above the earth somewhere, and that... And if you look at the book of Revelation, it talks about the paradise of God. It talks about the heavenly city of God coming back to the earth and God restoring the earth with a new creation back to his original intent. And I was just thinking about that in light of 
that really is like the garden, the place that God made us to live in with God. He took that second criminal and put him in there. And one day that garden's coming back to the earth. And that criminal is going to be part of God's people that are serving him and carrying out his purposes and causing the earth and the nations to flourish. He's, even though he barely made it, that he still is part of God's purposes, part of bringing God's, bringing God's garden to the world. And I think that's just so cool because God's desire was not just, to, not just to forgive him, but he has a purpose for his life. And that's what God desires for every one of us. In 2 Peter 3, verse 9, we're told that the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Now, that's, good. that's God's desire for everyone. Not that anyone would perish. Not that anyone would be like the first criminal. But that everyone would be the second criminal and come to a place of repentance. So where does that leave us today, August 21st, 2016? Well, I, there may be different, different applications. I'm, I'm sure that God has for each of us where we're at today. I think for those of us who are believers, I think one of the things God is wanting to speak to us today is maybe he's leading us to see people the way he sees them. That to have the attitude he had when he was being crucified, to say, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. To see the people around us and the most frustrating people, the most difficult people to get along with, the most lost people, and not to be judgmental or, hey, I'm better than that or whatever. Be like, no, Father, I, I was, that's how I was. You forgave me, Father. Would you forgive them? Father, could, I be a, could you use me to help extend your forgiveness to other people? Could I be a part of bringing people in to, your forgiveness and what you have for them. You know, it's, again, we're, we're all like those criminals. And, you know, maybe there's a situation in our life where we're tempted to take the path, or maybe we're in a place like the first criminal. Maybe we're tempted to, to go along with the crowd in, in doing evil. Maybe we're tempted to, to blame God for the situation of our life. Maybe we're tempted to presume that we know what God should do or we know what the best answer to our situation is. And, you know, we can do that. But as we have this very clear picture, that doesn't lead to what God intends for us, what God wants for us. We also have the chance to do what the second criminal did, to, to own up to our sin, to recognize what, what's on us, and to trust God to ask him for mercy and to come into the better thing that he has for us. And so if, if you're here today and you've never acknowledged your sin before God, you could do that today. You just like this, just like this criminal did. You looked at Jesus and said, Lord, will you forgive me? And he did. And no matter where we're at, God has something good for us. I, I want to pray and ask God to help us to, to, to bring this into our life. Father, Thank you for just this clear picture of, of what you're like and what your heart for us is, what your desire for us is. Lord, I ask that whatever you're wanting to speak to each person here today, that you would make that clear. Lord, I thank you for the example of this second criminal.
and what he got in the, the place of his, of his sin, the place of his weakness. Lord, I thank you that that's what we need to get in our place of sin, our place of weakness. Lord, I pray that you would help us to, to experience the, the same type of life and mercy that he did. Lord, I pray that you would help us to, to extend that to the world around us. Lord, I pray that I pray for this year, I pray for this school year, that this would be a year of more, more criminals, more sinners than ever before encountering you. Lord, of finding their, their salvation in you, finding their purpose in you, finding your grace. Lord, and would you help us to be part of that in powerful ways. Lord, we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.